relented tonight and uh, lost religion. Um, one that people that, 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 that some people have a hard time even calling a religion. Um, it's it's one of those that is uh, it's such a cult and such a business at the same time that a lot of people have a hard time even calling it a religion. They call it a religion. Uh, it's classified as a religion, but it is, uh, you'll see as we go through, hard to call it that. But this reminder in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. What we're going to talk about uh, just tonight and, and probably next week is Scientology. And that is different than Christian science. We've been a while talking about Christian science. A lot of people can you do now, uh, or, or will know the difference between those two by the time we get done here. But Scientology, according to their website, is, quote, knowing how to know. And that's based off of two words. One is Latin, skio, which means knowing, and Greek, logos, which is uh, the study of. So essentially, it is the study of knowing. And as we talk about this, I'm only going to scratch the surface. Um, there's a lot a lot written about Scientology, uh, or I should say written in Scientology, but they define it further as the study and handling of the spirit in relationship to itself, universes, and other life. It's, it gets really complicated as far as in, uh, as far as the, what they're trying to accomplish, what they think their um, end goal is. Um, and again, it gets really complicated as even trying to call it a religion because it's, it's not based on anything that is uh, founded in scripture at all. They don't use the Bible as, a, as their foundation at all. So uh, they actually have a, a one-hour video on their website, and I've watched it. If you, it's very, very informative. Um, will give you a great understanding of what Scientology is. That's obviously what they're trying to do. Um, and more next week than this, we're going to talk about, you know, the, the kind of tenets of Scientology. And if you were to go watch that video, um, it'll give you a great understanding of some of the different things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, not just some of the, um, the doctrines, if you want to call it that, but um, some of the different tools that they use and um, a lot of talking about their different uh Scientology centers, they're not even churches, uh, really, but um, that, that would be really informative for you. Um, obviously, they're producing it, so they're trying to make it all sound really good, and, and a lot of the way that they make it sound is not even exactly what it is, but they don't make any pretension of trying to blend in with Christianity. Uh, they're trying to blend in with religion. They're trying to, to get people to cross over into Scientology and all that stuff, but they, they don't have any pretension of trying to make it sound even like Christianity, like like Mormonism and some of these others do as far as you know using the Bible as part of their authority and then using something else. They don't they don't make any pretension about that. So if you don't know anything especially about Scientology, I think that'd be a great video for you to go watch. It's about an hour long, but again it just goes from one topic to the next. So but anyway, in this one-hour video on the website, they say this. One of the fundamental principles of Scientology is that a person can only improve his condition if he is allowed to discover his own truths about himself. This is accomplished through auditing, which you'll see that. 
Um, it's a process that they go through, and it's uh, I'm not going to get into it tonight. I'm not even going to start to explain it tonight. But essentially, what Scientology comes down to is that truth is what is true for you, and that may be different for everybody. And honestly, just in trying to get a grasp of what Scientology is, my grasp and the understanding of it is basically you are trying to improve your life. And you are trying to improve the world. And they only have a certain amount of time to do that because people are dying and the world is dying and the universe is dying. And, and so they're trying to draw as many people into Scientology as they can with the time that they have left. But the truth is, there has to be a standard for truth. Right? Our standard for truth is the Word of God. Yeah. We'll talk more about what their standard is. This might give you a good understanding as we start here, and, and, and again, I, I'm going to do more of this next week, but just to try to give you a little bit of an understanding of what Scientology claims to be. This is the creed of the Church of Scientology. We're going to talk about L. Ron Hubbard in just a few minutes, and that's what I'm going to spend most of the time on tonight. But he is the founder of the Church of Scientology, and shortly after the church was formed in Los Angeles on February 18th of 1954, so relatively new religion. Actually, compared to some of the other ones that we talked about, 1954 was at only you know 60 years oldish. Um, but after he issued this creed from his office in Phoenix, Arizona, the Church of Scientology actually adopted this as its own creed because it, it, it really succinctly states what Scientology believes. Here's their creed: We of the Church believe that all men of whatever race, color, or creed were created with equal rights; that all men have inalienable rights to their own religious practices and their performance. That all men have inalienable rights to their own lives. That all men have inalienable rights to their sanity. That all men have inalienable rights to their own defense. That all men have inalienable rights to conceive, choose, assist, or support their own organizations, churches, and governments. That all men have inalienable rights to think freely, to talk freely, to write freely their own opinions, and to counter or utter or write upon the opinions of others. That all men have inalienable rights to the creation of their own kind. That the souls of men have the rights of men. That might not sound like much on the surface, but when we get into talking about what they believe about that, then it'll make more sense. That the study of the mind and the healing of mentally caused ills should not be alienated from religion or condoned in non-religious fields. And that no agency less than God has the power to suspend or set aside these rights overtly or covertly. And we of the church believe that man is basically good, that he is seeking to survive, that his survival depends upon himself and upon his fellows and his attainment of brotherhood with the universe. And we of the church believe that the laws of God forbid man to destroy his own kind, to destroy the sanity of another, to destroy or enslave another's soul, to destroy or reduce the survival of one's companions or one's group, and we of the church believe that the spirit can be saved and that the spirit alone may save or heal the body. That's their church creed. And nowhere do you find anything about Jesus. Nowhere do you find anything about sin. Nowhere do you find anything about repentance or the fall of man or any of those kind of things. Because they don't believe in those things. They believe that man is good and that we're just trying to get better. That's it. It's, and as we say, it's very, very superficially religious. There really is not a lot of religion inside Scientology. All about your mind and all that kind of stuff. So really, and that's what I'm saying, I think I would call it a religion. I would 100% call it a cult, and you'll understand that by the time we get to the end. 
Um, but I think more than anything, it's a self-help seminar, self-help book, you know, and that's that's really what it is. Cloaked in the guise of religion, so they can write it all off on taxes and make their money tax-free. And that's honestly, they don't they don't even really try to hide that fact. But believe it or not, Scientology. You have heard of Scientology before? A lot of you have. It got popular because you got a lot of Hollywood types that that, that uh, follow Scientology. But by the raw numbers, Scientology is not very big in the United States. If you had to guess, how many people do you think? And I'll just take a couple. Of them, how many people do you think follow Scientology in, in, in the United States? Johan, two thousand, a little more than that. Fifty thousand. Twenty-five thousand people, believe it or not. That's it. That's a really, really small number. If you think about religion, right? I mean, 25,000 people could pack into a half of a football stadium, right? I think the I think the University of Michigan has a football stadium that holds like 50 something thousand people. I mean, they, and they fill that up for football games. So when you think of 25,000 people, that's not very many, not even close to very many. I mean, they have that many at, at Joel Osteen's church on a Sunday morning, right? So I mean, and I'm just trying to give you an, an idea of that. All of us have heard of Scientology. But it's only got 25,000 people that practice Scientology in all of the United States. Now, that number has dropped. Um, in, in, 2000, in 2003, they were at about 50,000 in the United States. Worldwide, there's only an estimated 40,000 to 200,000 people worldwide that follow Scientology. Most of them are in the United States um, and in Britain and South Africa and Australia. But the Church of Scientology claims to be the fastest growing religion. Uh, fastest growing religious movement is how they say it on earth, but their estimates are greatly exaggerated. Um, and I think part of it is they do have a lot of people that come through their doors. Uh, they are more, it looks, and, and again, I, I would highly encourage you to go look at this, you can watch this video on their website. You'll get a great understanding of some of the things that we're talking about and actually have some visuals of what we're talking about. But they have, um, forget the exact name of it, but there's, there's something like interest rooms, essentially is what it is. And they have, I think, 700 different videos that you can walk in there and you can sit there and watch all of these videos. You can just, you can, and it's like a kiosk, like a circular kiosk, and they have a bunch of these different things in there. So you could go in and it would basically take you an entire day to go through one of those kiosks watching the movies and, and their films and all that stuff. And then you come to the next day. We'll look at the next one. And they have, it literally looks to me a, a lot like uh, if you would think of a Barnes and Noble. That's what their churches look like when you walk in there. They got all their books out there, but then they have places where you can go within there where you can sit down and talk to different people about the religion of Scientology and so on. You get a good picture of that if you go and, and, and watch that video. But what it lacks in real numbers, it makes up for invisibility. Uh, they're very visible, and it's well known, I think, because of a lot of these Hollywood types who follow it. And by the way, they have a specific uh, designated place, um, and I forget the exact name of that as well, but it's called like the Celebrity Center, something like that, where they literally target celebrities. Because if you can get a celebrity that is helped by Scientology and they start talking about it, that draws a lot more people into Scientology. They know that. So they focus very, very much on Scientology. And Tom Cruise is one of those that's really involved in Scientology. And he's probably, probably one of the most famous people that they have. 
when Tom Cruise got interested in Scientology, they sent an entire crew of Scientologists, people who are, and, and they have, and we're talking about this, um, a group of people who, who their entire existence is to serve the, the Church of Scientology. They signed a one billion year contract to serve the Church of Scientology. And that is all they do. They get a small amount of money, but everything that they, everything, their housing is taken care of, their food is taken care of, everything. So they sent a whole group of these people to Tom Cruise's house to do everything for him. They cleaned his house, they made they made meals, they did everything. They wanted him to be 100% surrounded by Scientology so that he would buy 100% into this thing and start talking about it, which he's done, and draw more people into Scientology. So it's a classic case of a cult. So we're going to spend a couple weeks on it tonight. I'm going to give you the life of the founder, L. Ron Hubbard. Next week, we're going to discuss some of the structure and some of the false doctrines. So let's get into the history of Scientology. Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, that's what his name is. He's, he's called Ron, but L. Ron Hubbard was born in Nebraska in 1911. He grew up on a small ranch uh, in Olina, Montana, with four hometown churches, but his family actually claimed the Methodist Church as their church. But his his later cynicism of Christianity really betrays his virtually faithless upbringing. They didn't go to church much. His dad was uh, in the military, so he was gone a lot. In fact, uh, his dad was in the U.S. Navy, so he traveled abroad a lot. And at one at one point, when he was just uh, I think around 12 or 13 years old, he he took a 7,000 mile journey on his own to go meet his parents. Uh, in Guam. And so on that trip, he was actually mentored by an older man who introduced him to Sigmund Freud and Buddha and some of these other different people, and that piqued his interest in a lot of those things. But it's there that it's believed that he formed the idea that he later published as this basis of his new religion. But um, his whole idea behind this was if it's not true for you, then it's not true. So basically, if you don't believe it, then it's not true. That means you can believe in anything you want to believe. That means that nobody can tell you what the truth is. That means there is no standard for truth. Because if it's not true for you, then it's not true. So uh, already we start to see a, a toxic spiritual stew brewing, if you will. But he began his writing career as a teenager, started keeping journals. And he bounced out of school and work. And as a 20-year-old, he organized a trip to Haiti to study voodoo. He started studying this stuff and magic, and at 23, he married a girl named Polly, settled on a farm in Maryland, and started making, get this, started making a living as a writer of science fiction. That doesn't give you any indication of the direction that Scientology is going. And not just that he started making a living doing that, he was actually very, very successful as a science fiction writer. And uh, so he's, he was writing for these folk magazines at a penny a word. And so because he was getting paid by the word, he just started cranking material out, and he became a very popular science fiction writer in the 1930s and 1940s. And very interestingly, in the 1940s, he changed kind of midstream by announcing at a New Jersey science fiction convention. Um, he said this, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man really wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start his own Amazingly, by the 1950s, he had started his own religion and was making lots of money off of it. But he wrote furiously. One of the one of his claims to fame is that he has actually entered into the Guinness Book of World Records as the most published author. 
published 1,046 books, and he still holds the record today. Elrond Hubbard holds the record in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most published uh, books. 1,046 books, that's a lot. So he, he wrote on a roll of butcher paper so he didn't have to change sheets in his typewriter. Remember, he was getting paid a penny a word. So he actually had a typewriter that was modified so the words like and, and the, and but, and those different words, he could just hit one key and it was typing. I mean, he was, he was very prolific. They said that he could type 90 words a minute, and all he did was use two fingers on his typewriter. But he was, I mean, just cranking this material out. He wrote 100,000 words a month. Eventually, he published 15 million words in science fiction and uh, different essays, articles, books. 15 million words. And he only surpassed that by publishing 25 million words of Scientology material. 25 million words. So they have all the material they want, and they can study as much as they want about what Scientology is. They got 25 million words to do it all. And one of their, one of their other claims to I wouldn't say fame necessarily, but one of their other claims about their religion is that we have one of one of the only founders whose all of his words are still available to not just read but listen to. Everything L. Ron Hubbard said as it related to Scientology was recorded because he didn't even start until 1954. So they have all of them, and they play his recordings in their Scientology churches and so on. So, uh, but his his success. In his writing skills can't be denied. The manuscript for Dianetics, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, 180,000 words was written in three weeks. 180,000 words. He wrote this book in three weeks. And so those who knew him said that he could type like crazy and of course he had the modified type. Taking a step back, in 1938, at the age of 27, he moved to Washington State. And um, it was there that he has the first written account of his experience with hearing voices. And at that time, he was under the influence of a drug. He had an out-of-body experience. Does this sound familiar? Uh, and he discovered the secrets of the universe. Amazing how that happens when you're under the influence of drugs. You know? But by his early 30s, he was widely published in, in the, the world of science fiction. And he started running around with other successful authors, including Joseph Campbell, who was an avid student of psychic phenomena. And we're going to see this start to be a pattern in... Uh, Ron Hubbard's life, but he began to live two lives, one with his family on his farm in Washington and one in an apartment in New York City so that he could focus on his writing. And so that began a string of mistresses, sexual conquests that would rival Joseph Smith, uh, Muhammad, uh, Jim Jones, a lot of these other people who that's why they started the cult that they started, so that they could, you know, essentially have free reign to anybody and everybody that they wanted to and with no no, no restrictions, no restraints on them. Well, along came World War II. All of his life, he had loved ships, he loved the water, obviously, he had his dad was in the Navy. And so he tried to enlist in the Navy before World War II, but he was turned out because of health reasons. But then when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, they, they accepted him. And that, that began an incredible series of lies for L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, his service record was pretty unremarkable, but he lied about it constantly. He said that he had served on ships that he never served on. He said that he had uh, held high positions of rank that he never held. He said he fought in battles at sea that he never was even, uh, that he was never even around the fight. He said he was wounded, he never was. Claimed to have sunk a submarine that he never, that he never did. And that story is interesting. He, he claimed that he sunk the submarine.
submarine by dropping these charges over and over and over. And it turned out that the Navy said, why did you waste all that, you know, why did you waste all those, those charges? There wasn't even any subs in that entire area. And then for years after that, he claimed that he had sunk a sub. He was a, he was a captain of one of these ships. He wore medals that he never earned. He, he you know, he started his church, and, and the church actually paid his document to basically prove all of those things for him. Um, but there's no record of any of these things that he claimed to have done or have earned or anything like that. In fact, all he actually did earn when he was in the military was a reprimand, and they withdrew his command because he fired on a friendly nation that he thought was an enemy. Turned out that it was an ally of the United States, so they reprimanded him and took his command away from him. That's about all he had in his, in his career. So uh, He was re uh, reassigned to a naval facility in Monterey, California. He became depressed, he got sick. He started reporting his stomach pains in April of 1945. He spent the remainder of the war as a patient in the hospital, um, in the, the naval hospital there in Oakland, California. Um, but, according to him, during his time at the Naval Hospital, he made all these breakthroughs, quote unquote, uh, by use of endocrine experiments. I don't know what he was doing on himself or who he was doing it to or whatever else, but he made all these breakthroughs when he was there in the hospital. On October 15, 1947, he wrote a letter to the Veterans Administration formally requesting psychiatric treatment and said he was not able to afford it for himself. This is another one of those where Here's a guy that's obviously very mentally unstable. He's requesting psychiatric help. He's seeing visions. He's, he's you know, break, breakthroughs on the secrets of the universe and everything else. And all of a sudden, he's got problems, right? But within a few years, he would actually condemn psychiatry as evil. And that would grow into a major theme of Scientology. We'll, we'll talk about that again uh, a little bit more next week. But after World War II, that's when he began to be sent into just full-blown demonism. And by that point, his second marriage had fallen apart and ended in a very messy divorce. Uh, in fact, his wife claimed charges of bigamy because he was also dating and ended up marrying another woman that he had told was, he was a bachelor, but he had another wife who was living on the other side of the country. And so he was married to two people at the same time, you know, you know technically going through a divorce, but married to two people at the same time. But she, in their divorce, uh, in her divorce statement, claimed charges of bigamy, sleep deprivation, beatings, strangulation, kidnapping of their child and fleeing to Cuba, and then said that Ron counseled her to commit suicide, quote, if she really loved him. I mean, what a great thing to say to your wife. If you really love me, you'll commit suicide. <laughs> uh, didn't work, obviously, but he pretended to be a bachelor while he was still married, he ended up marrying this other woman that he, was met, that he had met with his interaction through an occult group that was led by Jack Parsons. We'll talk about him in just a second, but Scientology defends his connection to Jack Parsons, um, the black magic cult. And by the way, they spell it M-A-G-I-C-K because they want there to be a distinct difference between magic as sleight of hand and magic as the dark arts. And so they spelled it that way on purpose. But the church tried to say that he went undercover to infiltrate it on orders of the naval intelligence. That's how he got involved with Jack Parsons and his black magic. Naval intelligence sent him to infiltrate. No records in anywhere in naval intelligence that, that have ever been produced that say that they gave him that order. But his third marriage, great, it's a great religious leader to follow, isn't it? His third marriage to Mary Sue Wick lasted the rest of his life. But she actually captured worldwide attention in 1977 
as the mastermind behind a sinister covert operation to undermine the United States to our enemies that would honestly rival a spy novel, but his, his impenetrable shield that had been set up to protect him actually kept him from getting, you know, uh, indicted in that whole thing in, in connection. But let me go back to Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons was a rocket scientist during the war. He knew L. Ron Hubbard from studying science fiction, reading science fiction. Well, Parsons was the chief American follower of Aleister Crowley. Let me tell you about Aleister Crowley. His alias was the Beast 666. That's what he called himself. And Crowley, he was he lived from 1875 to 1947. He was called by the British press the wickedest man in the world. So he grew up in a fundamentalist Christian home. He became extremely bitter against God, against anything to do with Christianity when his dad died. And so he spent his inheritance and his life in the pursuit of black magic, traveling all around the world, pursuing every possible aspect of the occult that I've ever heard of. But in 1904, after a decade of serious effort, he was on his honeymoon in Cairo, and he experienced the presence of an Egyptian god by the name of Horus, H-O-R-U-S. And that demon god stayed with him for the rest of his life. But Horus dictated a book to Aleister Crowley. And his entire life, this demon stayed with him, but it was just um, the beginning of basically him spending the rest of his life summoning into these long, obscure incantations and ceremonies and all this stuff. But Crowley used that book to start another religion called Thelema. I've mentioned it before, but it's T-H-E-L-E-N-A, Thelema. And Crowley's main dictum was, quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. In other words, you do whatever you want to do, and that's the law. That's a quote by the Satanic Bible. Well, that's, and that's where, right, and that's where all of this comes from, yes. The lema is black magic, black, all the occult and everything else. So, yes, you're exactly right. And that was his, uh, that was his main force behind everything that he did and said and wrote. So, Crowley actually wanted to be the Antichrist. And if he couldn't be the Antichrist himself, he wanted to be the father of the Antichrist. And if not in a direct line by his own children, then he wanted to be the one who trained person who grew to become the Antichrist. I don't know if you got a picture. Yeah, that doesn't look like a demonic, you know, whatever, when you see his picture. That's Aleister Crowley. But he lived out his religion in just a truly horrifying way. Jack Parsons followed Aleister Crowley so closely that he brought Crowley's religion to the United States and basically ran the United States chapter of Thelema, which is Crowley's religion. Now, Hubbard and Jack Parsons became very close friends and started doing all kinds of things together, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But Hubbard was living on this small Navy disability pension. He had an ulcer, and so he was living on this pension for um, disability. Parsons invited him to live in L.A. at this commune that Parsons was running. So now, Aleister Crowley and this wicked black magic cult, you know, Everything wicked that you can think of has Jack Parsons running that in the United States. L. Ron Hubbard goes to live on the commune that Jack Parsons is running. This commune was dedicated to practicing this delay. So, in practice, this meant that for two years, 
Hubbard and Parsons together spent all of their time, all of their money, all of their effort trying to bring about demonic possession. And honestly, what they were trying to do is have a, a supernaturally conceived demonic child. That's what they spent two years trying to do there on that compound. So obviously that it was just this truly unholy combination of spells and sex and death and blood and animal sacrifices. And, and I'm not making any of this up. And, and honestly, um, it's, I'm leaving out a whole bunch of stuff that I, I don't even want to say because it's even worse than you might think it is. But Hubbard's son later said that Hubbard read Crowley's demonic book when he was 16 years old. And that's what led to him having this lifelong um, allegiance to black magic. This is what Elrond Hubbard's son said. But a lot of people don't realize that Scientology is black magic just spread out over a long time. Black magic is the inner core of Scientology, and it is probably the only part of Scientology that works. That comes from Elrond Hubbard's son. A Parson, this rocket scientist, said in a letter to Crowley shortly before Crowley died about L. Ron Hubbard. Although he has no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. From some of his experiences, I deduce that he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He describes his angel as a beautiful winged woman with red hair, whom he calls the Empress. This is the founder of Scientology. That doesn't tell you where Scientology is coming from. No matter how they try to cloak it, no matter how they try to say this or that, we understand exactly what they were trying to accomplish. Now, let me tell you about Dianetics. And we're going to talk a lot more about it uh, next week. But after two years, Parsons and Hubbard kind of falling out. Hubbard swindled him out of thousands of dollars, and so they, they end up splitting. But he left his second wife, his family, for good. He began to travel across the country trying to regain his health. Under the influence of a combination of hypnosis and the guidance of these spirits, and the spirit being Empress, that he referred to by name often, he, he actually got well again. So he moved to Hollywood in an effort to try to be a screenwriter. And he, in early 1948, over a period of three weeks, wrote this 180,000-word book that would become his bestseller called Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health. Hubbard said that he wrote it so quickly because he was actually being dictated the words by Empress. So three weeks, he wrote this 180,000-word book. Why? Because this demon, or this angel, as he called it, dictated every word of this Dianetics to him. Now, you understand the modern science of mental health. That essentially, that book Dianetics is essentially what they use as their Bible. So it's going on to sell more than 16 million copies. It's canonized scripture and the religion of Scientology. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. Again, you can go back and watch that video sometime this week. We talk a decent amount about Dianetics, and that might help you understand this a little bit more when we talk about it next week. I'm not going to be able to get into near as deeply as what they talk about with Dianetics. Time. I don't want to take the time to go into it. So if you go watch that, that will help you to understand a little bit more of where they're coming from. But Hubbard was not initially trying to start a religion. Um, but within two years of publishing that book, hundreds of groups that hundreds of groups that sprung up around the country that were actually practicing the quote science of Dianetics. 
other than selling his book, he couldn't make any money off of these groups. He couldn't make any money off of this, these religions that were springing up around it. So uh, he had no control over it either. So he pulled back for a while. He let the movement kind of fizzle out. Waited a couple years, and then all of a sudden brought it back with him in complete control of this thing. And of course, him then leading the charge in this new religion. So there are conflicting reports as to whether he launched the religion uh, sincerely or if it was just a cover for activation. Many, many people have spent a lot of time trying to prove that this was nothing more than a business, that he was using the cloak of religion as his activation cover. Um, but he didn't just make money from selling books. Scientology is a religion that once you make it to one step on the ladder, you have to progress to the next step on the ladder, and it's actually a pretty expensive step from one run to the next because of all the materials that you have to buy, all the things that you have to uh, take part in that cost money, uh, and you have to do all those things to be able to progress through Scientology. So, um, you know, if you want this mental perfection and happiness, you have to pay a whole lot of more. You have to pay a whole lot of money to be able to get the information to move on to the next step. So over the succeeding couple of decades, Hubbard grew his theology of Scientology and his religious empire. He spent a lot of his time at sea. He liked the sea, and also he was being chased by a variety of countries' legal systems for different things that he had done in those countries, trying to evade taxes. Trying to, uh, trying to avoid getting arrested for things that he had done in those countries. And so being at sea, it was very hard for him to get arrested. So, uh, in fact, he was, he was charged at various times with embezzlement, fraud, kidnapping, extortion, assault, tax evasion, all kinds of other things. He actually stayed at sea for close to 10 years on his own ship. I remember he was in the Navy. And so a lot of the stuff that he did was kind of focused around that. And so he created what's known as the Sea Organization. Or as it's called now, the Sea Org. Um, but I'll talk more about that in just one second. But uh, he finally came ashore in the United States, and then he lived in seclusion in the U.S. for the last ten years of his life. Um, again, because he was trying to avoid being arrested for different things that he had done. He was hidden by the Church of Scientology. He had ten people that were basically his servants, did everything for him, were his only connection to the outside world. He cut off everybody else, including his wife. And so from 1979 until he died in 1986, he never saw his wife. And he never saw anybody other than those 10 people that he had that were his connection to the outside world, because they were trying to protect him from all these things that the government was after him for. We're running out of time, so let me just give you some relatively random facts as examples of how he lived his life Decades. He continued to write a book, uh, Scientology Text, continued to publish uh, science fiction as well. But um, <laughs> as people progressed up the steps of his religion, he would periodically receive some sort of breakthrough that was the next step in the Scientology ladder. And of course, then people had to pay. So the highest ranking people in the Scientology hierarchy are the members of the C organization or the C org. And if you see them, they all dress exactly like they are in the Navy. They all wear Navy uniforms. Uh, you wouldn't be able to tell any difference between all of them. But the Sea Org, many of them are actually at sea, um, but, but that's just the name of the organization. They are the 5,000 or so that are at the top of the organization that, that are in command, that run everything. 
Um, but they're the most dedicated in here. They work for Lope, and like I said, they signed they sign a one billion year contract um, that they will continue to promote Scientology even after they're gone from this life and everything else. So, uh, different things that happen when people made him mad at sea, he would tie him up, throw him overboard from the highest part of the ship, which is about four stories, and then he would send somebody in after him. Um, just very, very classic hallmarks of a cult. Um, one time they uh, very well documented he had a man push a peanut around on the deck because this man had made it mad. And they said there was a trail of blood all the way through that ship where this man's nose had just been rubbed raw for pushing this peanut around on the deck of the ship. Um, with, you know, kids that were on there. And, and the thing is, 12-year-old kids, as long as they have the permission of their parents, uh, between 12 years old and 18 years old, could become part of this Scientology organization. But if the parents gave permission, they had to give entire permission. Basically, they had no more control over their children. And most of them only saw their kids once or twice a year once they allowed them to go into the Scientology organization. And so there were lots of kids that were there and everything else. And of course, uh, he, would, he would do all kinds of things to the kids as well. Uh, when they made him mad, he would put them in these metal lockers for days on end as punishment. Just all kinds of crazy things like that. But um, even back on land, somebody, somebody would make him mad, he would, he would uh, send them down to stay in a basement for weeks on end. Red water, you know, no, uh, no, uh, no showers, none of those other, other things. So, uh, another thing that he was very highly criticized for is forcing many of the women in the sea organization to have abortions. Uh, they were not allowed to have their own children, and so if they, if they got pregnant, they were forced to have abortions if they wanted to stay on in this keyboard. So um, he was a serial liar, adulterer, embezzler, uh, forger, but he lived out the remaining days in the 80s in just paranoid seclusion. And uh, he traveled around in an SUV, or, or not an SUV, but an RV, uh, so that he could avoid aliens, he was trying to avoid the government, I mean, just, just out there. And uh, everybody else saw him. And of course, then, he didn't die naturally either. He, as he came to the end of his life, left for a while to go orbit the planet Venus, make some more discoveries about Scientology, and promised that he would be back in 30 years. Well, 30 years have passed, and he's not back, and nobody's ever heard of him until again. He died, obviously, but to this day, in several locations around the world, Scientology has fully staffed mansions waiting for his return from traveling. They set out his his bed clothes and his favorite pair of slippers every night. They set out his favorite toothpaste for him. They have cars fully full of gas, uh, fully functioning and running with the keys in them so that if he happens to come back and need it, he's, he's got transportation when he comes back. So these people are all in on this Scientology. It's 100% brainwashing. And that's why I say, and you'll understand this a little bit more. Uh, next week, but it's very, very personal. This is the man that is going to save all of humanity from our own mental anguish. Go figure, right? This is, this is a guy that's obviously got some serious mental issues himself. But this is the man that Tom Cruise and John Travolta and some of these other guys revere, right? That's the man that birthed Scientology. So next week, we're going to discuss a little bit about how the religion is run nowadays. A guy by the name of David Miscavige is the one who is the leader of uh, Scientology today. 
there's all kinds of reports. People say that when he gets mad, he'll punch people, he'll knock them down. I mean, no, no problem with it. And it's, it's such a cult that nobody, nobody cares anything about it or does anything about it. So we're going to discuss the basics of their doctrine <laughs> and put them in the light of scripture. Demons, sex, money, lies, megalomania, Joseph Smith all over it. It's really what he did. You want to get a better understanding of who they are, like I mentioned, and, and honestly get a little bit of a jump on what we're going to talk about next week. Go at Scientology.org, I believe is what it is, and the first thing that pops up on the front page of their website is this video. And uh, I wouldn't be telling you to look at it if I didn't think that you could very easily pick out the things that are wrong with it, um, things that are wrong with Scientology. I'm not, I'm, I don't think that anybody can come back and say, actually, you know what, I'm going to be a Scientologist. Well, maybe they didn't, but I think they can say that. But here's another thing that I'll suggest. Uh, Leah Remini is a, um, she's an actress and was very, very popular. I, I, don't, I couldn't tell you anything that she acted in, but she was in the Church of Scientology for 35 years. So not, not born into it, but, but her parents brought her into it at a very, very young age. So in 2013, she left the Church of Scientology. She started seeing so many things that are just not right. And then, once she made that public, she had so many people come to her who were within Scientology still, or who had just come out of it, that had so many stories of abuse. And this is what really Scientology is, and this is what really goes on within that organization and everything else. And she decided that she was going to uh, make a video about it. And it turned into a 37-episode documentary series on A&E. Um, called Scientology, the Aftermath, or something like that. And um, I, I think you can probably find it on YouTube or you know, different places, but um, I watched the first episode and lots of lots of information just about Scientology itself. I don't, I, you know, I can't recommend the series. I have not watched it. I don't know what's, what's in it and everything else, but there's a lot of information in there as well that, that may be helpful for you if you're still interested in kind of learning a little bit more about Stuff that we're not going to spend about. So, uh, but at the very least, go watch that video sometime this week. I think it'll help you get a good understanding of it, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. All right? Great. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for how good you are to us and for the fact that we have the truth of the Word of God. I do. I'm thankful that so few people are involved in Scientology and that more are leaving every day. I pray that it would be a, a religion and a cult that, that simply loses completely nothing and they lose everything. But God, I, I pray beyond that that those who are involved in it that are looking for answers will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If we have an opportunity, God, I pray that we'd be able to uh, lead some of them to Christ as well. That you just give us a good week. Help everybody be healthy and back safely on Sunday. Thanks for all that you do for us.